Are you ready? Ready to release internal pain? To find confidence, clarity, and direction for your future? To live a life of meaning, fulfillment, and contribution? To trust your intuition again, but something's been holding you back? You've come to the right place. Welcome. I'm Ian Hawkins, the host and founder of the Grief Code podcast. Together, let's heal your unresolved or unknown grief by unlocking your grief code. As you tune in to each episode, you will receive insight into your own grief, how to eliminate it and what to do next. Before we start, I have one request. If any new insights or awareness land with you during this episode, please send me an email at info at ianhawkinscoaching.com and let me know what you found. I know the power of this work and I love to hear the impact these conversations have. Okay, let's get into it. Today's guest, Con Kutskus, is a trainer who helps people to communicate effectively, to be able to present, to speak in front of a, an audience, and he's pretty good at that himself. I really enjoy this chat. Uh, like most people, he's been through his fair share of big moments of, of grief. He's also a great storyteller, and from the really tough times he went through to the to the entertaining parts of this chat towards the end. I loved every minute of it. Some great wisdom there at the end also. If you're a if you're someone who would love to be better at public speaking or communicating and he gives some really great wisdom. The bit that really struck me was just the, the sharing of some some really dark moments and, and again, a great storyteller. As I always say, there's so much comfort in hearing other people's story and and knowing that you're not alone in your pain. And and Con shares really openly here and and also talks about how he managed to get through the other side, the lessons he learned, and then being able to share that wisdom with the world as well. Hey everyone, and welcome to this week's guest, Con Kutskus. How are you, Con? I'm very well, thanks, Ian. Good man. You are a public speaking or public speech or speaking in public uh, trainer. Can you tell us a little bit about what you do there and, and how you come to be in that sort of role? <laughs> well, I'll tell you briefly what I do. So fundamentally, I help people achieve greater success through better speaking and communication skills. And so what that entails, I teach people how to speak in public, better presentation skills, but more importantly, effective communication which is beneficial not only in their professional lives but also their professional lives as well and so they're the key things I do I run public workshops I do a lot of corporate work but I'm also doing uh, I'm asked to do keynote presentations at the moment which is definitely something that I'm looking forward to doing more of how I got into it wow I'll give you the short version There was a time in my life, and we spoke about it very briefly, I was involved in a very toxic relationship, uh, was affecting pretty much every aspect of my life, including my business. And I had lost my mojo. I'd always been a really, really confident, outgoing person. And I, I just, it just consumed me. It just sucked the life out. And I was listening to an audio book by famous American motivational speaker by the name of Zig Ziglar. And it was all about improving your confidence and your self-esteem. 
and he mentioned Toastmasters by name, a public speaking organisation. And so, of course, the first thing I did was Google it. Uh, it was a bit of a journey getting there in terms of, uh, again, dealing with my personal issues, lack of self-esteem, lack of confidence. Yeah. Uh, but as that built, my skills improved. I had some received some really good feedback. And about six, five, six years ago, I was asked to help a gentleman uh, co-facilitate some workshops. And the rest, as they say, is is history. And it's uh, it's been five years of, of really, really following my passion, which I didn't even know what it was, which is, I guess, the first lesson there for the for the listeners and viewers. You know, life just takes you in a direction that you least expect. Hundred you know, percent, and uh, and, uh, and that's pretty much where we're at. Yeah, I guess it's also a great lesson that if you're searching for that elusive purpose or or meaning, just by asking the question, it finds you in ways that you can never expect, right? <laughs> Absolutely, mate. If if somebody had have asked me ten years ago what I'd be doing now, and they said, you know, teaching people how to speak in public and keynote presentations, I would have had them certified. And I would have had them locked up. Yeah, yeah. So what were you doing before that? I had 30 years in the commercial furniture industry as yeah. uh, both an employee of various organisations, but also uh, as uh, self-employed my own business. So as part of that, we, we did a lot of uh, hotels, restaurants, cafes in the corporate sector, accommodation properties, which was very competitive, but it was... It taught me a lot of skills, particularly how to build relationships, which is is another another really important. But you know, we did more deals over a dinner table back in those days than we did in a boardroom, Ian. Yeah, I know, bet. and and people, you know, people under, underestimate the the power of building a relationship and sharing a meal, whether it's you know a cup of coffee or or, or a meal, and uh, and and that was a, a massive lesson that I learned you know, massive lesson. Yeah, and given that most of the moments in our life are, are, are a sale of some sort, that building relationships is is almost a foundational skill, right? Oh, without question. And it's interesting you say that about, you know, sales transactions. One of the first questions that I ask people when I run a workshop is by a show of hands, who's in sales? And and yeah. the fu- the funniest thing is, you know, when you're in a room full of uh, accountants or lawyers, very few, very few hands go up. And of course, it's at that time you go, well, guess what? Everyone's in sales. You know, at the at and at and at the very very foundational level, you're selling yourself. You know, whether it's a job interview, whether it's you know whatever, we're selling ourselves fundamentally every every day. Yeah, it's a great point. And, and I imagine for the work that you're doing, that helping people to see that that's what they need to be able to do, right? I mean, I'm sure you've seen this. There's lots of people out there in their business and they're trying to hide behind a business brand and they're trying to come up with this fancy name and a and a brand. And, and I would have done the same thing probably 10 years ago. And it's then realizing that, well, no, you're the brand. And no matter yep. what you do, whether you work for someone or not, it's your ability to show up in your highest value, which is going to take you the furthest. Without question. And it's interesting. 
people have said to me, you know, many business associates, oh, you know, you know, why haven't you come up with a, a catchy business name or something? And I go, no, I'm look, I'm looking around at some of the you know best trainers and speakers in the world, and their name, their face is their brand, and I yeah. want I want people to recognise me for who I am and what I offer in terms of value, not only to themselves but to their businesses as well. And, and that's really, really key. You, you know, you, you can't hide. You can only hide so much. But ultimately, people want to see, people want to see, and, and, and indeed, other businesses want to see, who am I dealing with? Who, who, is, who is the face? Who is behind this business? A hundred percent. I'm really fascinated by something you said earlier, which is mm. talked about effective communication. And, and this is the case with often with business owners that I work with is that they think they're going to be working with business and we do, but quickly it turns to, okay, well, what's actually going on in your personal life that's the real problem towards your business, right? And if you can't communicate in the home, then the chances are that's going to spill forward into your communication, whether you're speaking out in front or just in day-to-day conversation in, a, in any work environment. Is that mm-hmm. part of the context that you take them through? Absolutely. Absolutely. And one of the things that I say to people is you can't be two people. In other words, yeah. so what I mean by that is, you know, you, you learn new skills, whether it's speaking skills or communication skills, they need to become who you are. They need to be a new habit you can't demonstrate a habit when you're in a professional environment in terms of your speaking and your communication skills and then resort back to something else when you're you know at home or with your mates at the footy or or at the pub you know it needs to be it needs to become a habit it needs to become habitual yeah absolutely because under pressure that same bad behavior will show mm. up right uh absolutely that comes to mind is uh, congruence mm. it's- Part of the inspiration. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, sorry, keep going. No, no, no. Congruence, great word. Great yeah. word. That's it. And and that's, you know, I talk about Jekyll and Hyde. You know, yeah. you can't be two people. If you're going to adopt a new skill set or a new practice, it needs to become who you are. You can't pick and choose when you're going to do it. And, and I had an interesting conversation yesterday with an organisation. I'm doing some training, training there presenters and they they have a variety of length of presentations that they deliver in in different environments and one of the things that i've mentioned is that guys you you have to slow down you're just speaking too quickly yeah and this issue of of time kept coming up and they said you know when we do our two hour spot you know we can slow down and we can do that you know, but when we're doing this other one, you know, we have to speak quickly. And I'm going, no, 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 no. You can't pick and choose. You're either over here or you're over yeah. here. You make the decision. Yeah. And the one that is the easiest for you to do is the one that's going to get you the best results. It comes back to what we are talking about before, right? The value that you bring. Hmm. So from, go on, go on. No, what I was going to say is, is people revert back when they're under pressure you know, whether it's uh, uh, any level of stress for whatever reason, they'll always revert back to their default position. Absolutely. Always Absolutely. revert back to their default. And so if they're not, if they haven't really ingrained the new habits 
the new skill sets, when the pressure's on for whatever reason, they'll always go back to safety, always go back to the default position. Yeah, and so for me, that was part of the motivation, inspiration, I guess you would say, for me to start making changes to my own life was Mm. I'd keep it all together in the uh, professional situations and then I'd come home and it would spill over, right? And what I learned was is that after my dad passed away, there was a whole lot of stuff that was coming to the surface that I hadn't dealt with and that there was an underlying anger and frustration that, that spilled out. Did you find that after this toxic relationship that you mentioned before, which was the sort of motivation for you, was there behaviours that came out in you that hadn't been there prior to that that then started sort of spilling out in times when they shouldn't have? I'm a firm believer that some of these behaviours that we talk about, the toxic behaviours, they're a bit like trying to hold a beach ball underwater. Yeah. Eventually, you can only hold it down for so long and eventually it's going to pop out and hit you in the head. Yeah. And 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 one of, for me, with this relationship, I because it was having such a, a significant negative effect on not only me personally in terms of how I felt about me, my self-esteem, but also how it was affecting my relationship with my children who I absolutely love and adore. And one of the things that really brought to the fore was a a lot of hatred. And and when I say hatred, I mean intense hatred, not only for this person, but it also brought it out in other areas. I mean, I... I never had a good relationship with my dad and, uh, you know, may he rest in peace. But a lot of a lot of what I felt as a result of this relationship manifested itself when I thought about my father as well. Yep. You know, I, I, was, I was short in situations where I shouldn't have been sh- short. And particularly it took me a while to, to understand react versus respond, particularly when it came to my children and developing, you know, developing new relationships. So that was that was one thing for me that was really, really, uh, you know, just it was that beach ball just jumping out and going whack. Yeah. So I guess we're kind of skipping ahead a little bit here for, the, for that mm. sort of awareness, but if mm. I can just take you back to that yeah. uh, that moment of realisation in the relationship, was it, was it a specific moment? Was it a series of moments? Was it a build-up of pressure like how did it unfold for you to realize that that's something you needed to get out of uh, look it it was it was certainly uh, a number of events that that uh, that occurred over a period of time which just built up and built up and I can see the angst that it was creating between me and my kids and certainly between this this person and my kids as well and so that was that was something that developed and and Ian I, I can tell you you know my son was living with me at the time and we would go out, myself and my partner at the time, we would go out and driving home, it would be pulling into the street and literally into the driveway. And my thoughts would be for my son, please don't be home. Please don't be home. Please don't be home. Yeah, wow. You know, it was just, it was just this this knot in your in your stomach just you know and and if i saw his car there my heart would just sink 
it was it was just and it was just a, a range of events and, and it culminated in one in one particular particular evening where um you know I pretty well fell out of my tree so to speak but um but uh yeah yeah so so when you're talking about um coming home and like you know fingers crossed that he wasn't going to be there was it because you knew he would see like interactions between you and this partner that wouldn't have been a great like role modeling what, what did no, you mean by no that? it wasn't it, it, no not that at all in in, in fact it, it was it was the uh, the interactions that potentially would happen between between her and him right right yeah and yeah and so is that part of what you were seeing is the toxic part it wasn't it wasn't healthy he was completely justified I mean, it wasn't yeah. it, it wasn't healthy for him, it wasn't healthy for him, and it wasn't healthy for me, you know. But he was completely justified, you know. <laughs> so, were you and him and having conversations about? Absolutely, yeah, right. absolutely, absolutely. How, how old was he? Oh, uh, early twenties at that time. Yeah, so so he would have been fairly direct, I imagine, then with his feedback. Uh. Direct is an understatement. Uh, one one thing my son is is very direct, uh, and um, he's he's uh, he's definitely I won't say matured because he was always mature, but he's learnt to become less direct. But but nevertheless, again, again everything was justified. Absolutely, you know there was there was never a time where I you know had to pull him up and go, well, you know, you shouldn't be saying that, you know, because that's not nice. Never. So, what impact was it having on your mental health? Oh, um, the psychologist um, thinking of you know closing the business, uh, financial issues, relationship externally, lack of confidence, lack of self esteem, just you name it, I had it. Yeah, you know, right. just awful. Yeah, so it's actually just tearing everything about your life apart. Oh, so absolutely, but but you know, Ian, at the end of the day, and I, and I say this, I don't have these conversations often because mm. I, I I don't feel I've moved on. Yep. And one of the things that used to consume me was a, a really deep seated hatred for her. At the end of the day, I made my decisions. She didn't put a gun to my head and say, this is what we're going to do and I'm moving in and yada, yada. I made yeah. those decisions. And so I take responsibility for that. And so I've moved on from that. I messed up. You live and you learn. Yeah. Absolutely. You, you don't get to that point, though, straight away, right? You don't get to that realisation that actually this is my responsibility. You get very much in that external blame. And I think that's true of any grief. Oh, it, it's been, I'm going to guess, eight years since that relationship ended, you know, eight, nine years. Yeah. And and I can tell you it probably took me a good four or five years before I could go, you know. Yeah. Let's move on. It, it's and, just and not, you know, and, and one of the things that I, I read, which which is, I love it, is, um you know, hatred and, and emotions like that is like, you know, drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. Yeah, it's not going to work. Nah. 
from my experience, that's what grief does. And whether it's the end of a relationship, someone's passing, another major mm-hmm. life event, is that the initial reaction is is one of blame. Like, how could this possibly happen to me? Mm. Like, like what what what's happened to me? And it's a it's a cultural thing. It's a society thing, and, and yeah. it's just a, yeah. And we see it everywhere. And it can take years for me. I, I probably about six years before I could get mm. to that point. Maybe even longer. So for anyone listening, it's just realizing that whatever you're going through, if if we're talking about concepts that seem really confronting, well, it would have been confronting. I know it was for me, probably was for you, Con, the first mm. time you heard that concept of taking responsibility for all of it. It's mm. really in your face, but it actually is the step that sets you free, right? We're the one. And the other thing that I've learned in my journey, Ian, is that once we take responsibility, you know, Jim Rohn famously said um, maturity, uh, you know, self-acceptance and, and uh, understanding that you're responsible for where you are is the highest form of, of, you know, personal maturity because not only does it create that acknowledgement that, hey, I created this, I'm the, I'm the, but what it does, it then empowers you to understand that you can then make changes. 100%. It's not, you know, it's not, woes me what's happened to me i have i have no control now i have no power whereas when we when we accept that responsibility and go hey this isn't great but i've i've got to own it i've got to put my hand up and go mate you've had a fair crack at this and so it then empowers you to go okay well i created that how about we look at changing some behaviors changing our thought processes what we do and how we do it to create a better outcome. Yeah. And it's uh, great that you mentioned Jim Rohn. I, I refer to him a lot on this podcast. Yeah. He was my, my I first, love him. yeah, my very first mentor introduced me to Jim. I remember asking him, oh, like, what else other stuff can I listen to? I listened to all his stuff over and over again. And he goes, oh, just keep listening to my stuff. And then a couple of days later, he posts the Jim Rohn uh, little short snippet of when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. And and he didn't, he what? And I spent the next 12 months just <laughs> listening, like continuously listening to Jim Rohn and, and moments where I just cringe like that, you know, the first time I heard that idea of self-responsibility, I'm sure I swore a couple of times the first time I heard that going, you got to be fucking kidding me. Like there's no way that this stuff that's uh, happening to me is, is my responsibility. Yeah, but as you yeah. say, the moment that you choose to be responsible for everything is the moment you get your power back. You, you use the word empowerment. Yeah, it actually it allows you to go, well, I can now, because this is in my control, I can now change my destiny. I can now change what my future is. And exactly. to me, that's just such a, a powerful lesson to learn mm. and one that has to be learned. Mm. Oh, without doubt. A, diffi- a difficult one for some people, a difficult yeah. one, but, yep. but one that is if anybody – you know, listening or watching ultimately is going through some stuff and life. life's like that. As Forrest Gump said, life's like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Just own it. Just take responsibility and it just, it, it's, it's life-changing. It really is. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Con, you've said you're an open book so we can go pretty much anywhere. I'm, I'm curious cool. about how that relationship started you did mention that you'd had a um an ex-wife that had actually passed away like 
Yeah, as as the parent of your child, mm. that that must have been. I'm sure the separation was was difficult, but that uh, like her passing as as the mother of your children, that must have been mm. just excruciating for all of you. We um, married for for many years, uh, 20, odd, yeah. 20 odd years, and and um, um, three beautiful children, one deceased that you know I mentioned to you earlier. Mm. But it was it was a, a very oh, what's the word that I can use? It was a very uh, very conflicted relationship. It was it was filled with quite a lot of angst. So the separation. And indeed, with and indeed, the divorce was quite, uh, uh, quite anxious, quite stressful. Uh, yeah. Both parties, there wasn't, uh, let's say, there wasn't a lot of love lost, and um, uh, and so we were estranged after the divorce, and we only run into each other at you know weddings, christenings, and bar mitzvahs, or you know when you know when the kids were doing something you know 21st engagements etc cetera, etc cetera. so we didn't have we, we had very little to do with each other and she had some uh, certainly some health issues which which progressively got worse and worse and worse uh, and when she passed away we had very very little to do each, with each other so from my perspective you don't wish harm on anybody. I mean, I, I certainly don't. It's I, yeah. I believe it's inhumane, not even your worst enemy. And and knowing and seeing what she did personally go through, even in the later stages of our of our marriage, it was it was torture on my children, on our children. And so my 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 pain, my grief was really more about my children and what they had to endure losing their mother. Yeah, yeah. Rather than. Yes, I absolutely had empathy and sympathy for, for my ex-wife. It was more about my kids for me. Yeah, uh, I could imagine that being the case. Mm. You you mentioned before that you didn't have a great relationship with your dad. Mm. Was the um, the tension in your relationship? Do you look back in hindsight and see that any link there, or was it something that like when you got together it was all good and it went downhill, or like how did that all unfold? With regards to my dad, or no, the just impact you, that had on other relationships. Yeah, exactly. Because I mean, you're yeah. you talk a lot about effective communication, and I, mm. and that sounds like a big part of what you do. From my experience, our greatest gift is the very thing that we've struggled with in so many different areas, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. My, my dad was very. Um, very authoritarian, very, um, you know, you will do. It's my yeah. way or the highway. And, you know, w w one of the one of the memories that I have when I first finished high school, you know, I, I didn't want to go to uni. I wanted to get a job. I wanted to earn some money. I wanted to become an entrepreneur. You know, I wanted to go out there and own the world. Yeah. yeah. And, and uh, back in those days when I was in high school, I had – I had the worst hair, the worst hair in the history of humanity. And I had mates that we played footy with that had these long, blowing, uh, flowing blonde locks, and and I had this wire that used to just grow sideways. It was just atrocious. Yeah, but I let it grow as best as I could in in, in the hope that you know a hurricane would come past and it would flow in the wind. But that never that never that, that never eventuated. And so, of course, when I when I finished school and looking for a job, first thing you got to do, you got a job interview, you got to go and get a haircut, don't you? And 
that was the days when the the disco era you know you're probably too young for this the disco era and john travolta and saturday night fever and uh, my mates and i we were you know big disco ducks back in those days so i've gone off and and found a hairdresser and and i've got this this john travolta number it was just divine it was just <laughs> push back it was it was just mint it was divine yeah and i've gone home and the old boy has just launched what sort of an effing haircut is that? You're never going to get a job. You're effing this, you're effing that. You know, nobody's going to employ you. You just, I'm going, okay then. Thanks, Dad. Yeah, thank, thanks for the uh, copious words of encouragement. Yeah, wow. And long story short, I got the job. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it was definitely when I went home, it was a bit of I told you so. But, you know, that to me that had you know they, they tell the story about uh, a, a father who you know who's, who's an alcoholic and abuses his wife and has two children well one kid turns out to be an alcoholic abuser and the other one turns out to be a you know a philanthropist millionaire at yeah. the end of the day the kids make choices yeah. and so for me it wasn't about monkey see monkey do for me it was about I've got to be better than that. I've got to. I've got to do better. Yeah, and that's one. And that's one thing that I'm, you know, and and I, I say this hand on heart and not from an egotistical perspective. I'm. I'm. I honestly believe I'm a. I'm a. I'm a really, really good dad. Uh, I, I listen. I listen. I absolutely have an opinion when it's warranted. I don't demand. I don't inflict. I let. I let things go. But, you know, my kids, they can pick up the phone and we can have a conversation at any time, you know. And, and in fact, you know, I spoke to my son yesterday for a little while uh, and um, I'm seeing him on Saturday. We're catching up at a, at a football game. Um, awesome. On my way home to join you on your show here, I gave him a call. How are you going? And, you know, I, I just have that really, really good relationship with my kids that, you know, we can just pick up the phone. How are you going? You know, and it's just it's just great. Yeah. So so, so that so that's one thing that I learned. I I went the other way. Yeah. Yep. Such a blessing. Yeah, that's a great story. But and you ask the, you ask those two uh, children who had that alcoholic dad, uh, why are you like you are? Because they had an alcoholic dad. It's the same same impact, but different choices. Yep. And. I probably went the other way. It was like I'm not going to parent like that, and and I ended up repeating so many different things. So many were great, but then also repeated a whole lot of other things and it wasn't until I went through my journey of, of change that I was able to change so many things that, that mm-hmm. I needed to, again, because that place of blame. So if you look at the your marriage then, mm-hmm. was like did it start off really well? Or if looking back where there's sort of, some challenges already like how did that all, oh, how did there, that there, there were def- there were definitely some challenges in the early days no question about that but we we got on we got on reasonably well we um you know we socialized well we had a good group of friends um we were you know blessed with uh, blessed with a, a son very early on uh, when i say f- before somebody jumps on me as being a misogynist here i was blessed with a healthy child he happened to be his son yeah, um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah, and um, 
so you know to that end you know life was life was pretty good life was pretty good uh did we have challenges yeah of course we did but at the same time i believe uh, everybody has challenges it's yeah. just how you deal with them rather yeah. than rather than you know do they consume you or is it something that you can sit down and have a conversation with and i and i guess that's one thing that we we struggled with and i'm as guilty as as perhaps she was in terms of the ability to sit down and 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 have a have a discussion without necessarily having an outcome yep having a discussion without necessarily somebody being right or wrong yep having a discussion to understand rather than to react or respond yeah they're, they're great points because that's would be commonplace in so many marriages is is all of those different things mm. learned behavior uh we see it same thing it's a society thing this concept of needing to be right i know that was very much the case for me Re- uh, hand up and say recovering control freak needing to control different situations <laughs> and and that needing to be right thing that, that was another one of those slap in the moment moments for me i think it was from that original my original mentor he, it, this this lesson of needing to be right and uh it yeah. it changes everything and i know and again i imagine given that you you're helping people a lot with communication i imagine that's a big part of it one of the things that i've discovered in in my journey and, and particularly with the work that i do in is people's ability to communicate effectively and speak to a group is directly related to their level of self-esteem and how they see themselves. There's this direct correlation. Yeah. Part of the, part of the component of, of my training is dealing with fear and anxiety and things like that. And the reasons that people come up with why they, you know, they don't want to do it. They're fearful, anxious, whatever is all gets back to how they view themselves you know am i good enough will i you know will i do it right will i be accepted will they like me and it's all about them and their level of self-esteem part of the, the absolute integral part of communication training and this is where i feel that my programs uh, I guess we'll call it my unique selling proposition or my, my point of difference is that I have a strong a strong focus on the, I guess, the psychological aspect of, of communication, how we interact, how our messages are received, how to deal with fear and anxiety at, at, at quite a deeper level rather than just superficial. Yeah, love it. Yeah. yeah. And from everything you've described it sounds like that you've experienced a heap of this stuff already hmm. and that would have been part of the unraveling, right? It's like realizing oh. that, Oh, when dad communicated, he's like this, when this relationship communicated, it was like this. Hmm. Very much so. Very much yeah. so. You know, and what, what you, what you can do is, you know, we talk about, we, we can't live in the past, but I believe we need to learn from the past. Yeah. And so, 
with an increased level of whether it be knowledge or self-awareness as as we develop you know through our journey of life and and work it gives us the ability to look back and reevaluate and reassess those relationships and take something from it because one of the one of the biggest uh, travesties is not learning something or not having a something positive come out of an experience whether yeah. it's a learning whether it's a, a understanding of of behavior having a deeper level of empathy for the other person if you, if you don't learn and so you know, we can't forget the past because it, it's you know it it has a level of who we are but it doesn't define us but being able to go back and look at those relationships is completely different it gives you context yeah absolutely and the lesson is there in the past hmm we, dwelling in it's not going to help you, but no. learning the lesson, coming out the other side, and then being able to pass that knowledge on, it's mm. what a gift. And that comes from exactly like you said, at some point we have to be able to see the good in everything we've been through. Mm. I remember uh, unpacking this with my coach about four years ago when I'd come out the other side of, of a couple of different programs that hadn't given me the return on investment that I thought it should be rather than what I was promised is like what my expectations of it. Mm. And that was the first thing that, that she got me to do is sit down and go, well, tell me everything it did give you. And it's funny how many pages of notes I took yeah. and yet I was looking at it through a completely different lens, despite the fact having learned all this stuff the same, we're probably taking other people through the same process, but it's having that ability to, to, to have just yeah. someone point you a bit of a smack in the face and uh, point out the glaringly obvious sometimes. The, the, yeah, the glaringly obvious that we choose to, to choose to ignore. Absolutely. Mm. Um, now, I mentioned before we came on air that, I have had a few guests lately that have had either a, a stillborn child or, or a child that has not lasted a very long time. And, and mm. that was the case for you and your ex-wife. Mm. That Were you given any warning for that? Or that was literally your child was born and then suddenly you're told all of these, all of these things that were going mm. wrong? We, uh, it was a, a, a very healthy pregnancy. Uh, everything was going tickety-boo. Uh, we didn't know uh, the sex of the child and, and we had no interest in that. We just, you know, as a parent, your prime concern is, is uh, a healthy baby, two arms, two legs. And at 32 weeks, she woke up in the middle of the night, uh, my, my ex-wife, and um, uh, hemorrhaging quite badly. And so uh, I rushed her to the, uh, to the hospital um, fastest I've ever driven and it's quite bizarre it's, it's a kind of time you want the cops to pull you over <laughs> but, and they, but didn't. they didn't <laughs> uh, try and make light of a bad situation and uh, Absolutely. we we got to the hospital and uh, and you know um, checking the heartbeat of the baby and you know all the vital signs and and everything was uh, everything was okay but they made a decision that it was in the best interest that they'd um, they'd bring the baby on yep and so Stephanie was born uh, at uh, about 6 a.m. that that morning, and uh, a pediatrician who was uh, head of pediatrics at the hospital. So you know he wasn't uh, just some bloke running around. He was he was the top of the top. 
yeah. at the time. Um, grabbed Stephanie and you know a little bit of a a little bit of a um, very brief hold and and he said, "Well, just she's a little bit jaundiced. We're going to pop her in a humidity crib and you'll be able to take her home in a few days." So, you know, everything was hunky-dory and um, I, I had a furniture manufacturing business at the time and, of course, I hadn't made arrangements for me to be absent. And so I said to, to uh, uh, my ex, look, I'm, you know, you rest, baby's good, I'm going to head off, um, go and have a shower, change, you know, go to work, do a, tidy up a few things and I'll be back. Right, yep, no worries. Anyway, this is in the days of pages, you know, yeah. Uh, rather than, I mean, we had phones, but you know, the phone was yay big, so you know, we had <laughs> yeah. pages, and I, and I got a, I got a page from from uh, the hospital. Um, please call this number urgently. So of course you get that sinking feeling pretty quick. Yeah. So I've I've rang up the hospital and said, you know, spoke to the nurse, um, you know, Konkutska said, you know, I said I've got a message, you know, what's what's the issue? She said, you need to get here now. Shit. What's wrong? She said, get here now. Okay. So get there and, and my my ex is uh, in, uh, in the ICU, neonatal ICU unit there. And Stephanie's in a crib, tubes everywhere, surrounded by doctors and nurses and Simon, the the neonatal specialist there says um we've got an issue she's um she's got a contracted group b strep which is uh quite fatal in uh, uh in in newborns and what it is it's it's a uh, I'll, don't quote me on the exact details here but it's a bacteria that simon explained us humans coexist with you know it's all over our body you know yeah but if the baby contracts it on the way through the birth canal, it can have fatal consequences. It can be, if it's detected early, it can be treated with high doses of antibiotics like penicillin and, and, and stuff like that. Uh, and, and, you know, generally a good outcome. However, Stephanie was 32 weeks, so she was eight weeks prem, which was, was you know, a bit of a cross there. Yeah. Chuck in group B strep chuck in a couple of other little factors that, you know, later on. And um, he said, look, this is really, really touch and go. You know, we, we're, um, we're, we're administering high doses of antibiotics and we're very, very hopeful it, it'll be a good outcome, um, but we're just letting you know. So that was, that was pretty stressful. Uh, a couple of hours later, uh, he came to see us and said, look, you know, some of the signs are improving. We believe we've got it under control. Um, tick, and we're going, you know, <gasps> big sigh of relief. Okay, great. Go back to go back to the room about five o'clock, five thirty. Said, look, what do you want? I'm going to grab some hungry jacks or something. And she said, yeah, whatever. Anyway, I said, look, I'm just going to stick my head in, you know, see Stephanie, and and I'll go and grab the food, and I'll come back and. I've walked in and it's like it's like ants on a donut, doctors and nurses around her crib. It's just it was it was frightening. And of course Simon's come up and he said, She's not gonna make it. 
oh, I'm going, you fucking told me two hours ago that it was under control. Yeah. He said, she's not going to make it. We're doing everything we can, but she's not going to make it. Oh. So, of course, I've had to, had to get the wife and she's, uh, as, as you can imagine, not dealing with all that well. And it was backwards, forwards. We were, we, you know, we were, we were in ICU, and you know they were administering all sorts of stuff, and and it got to the point where it almost was like there was a high, you know, her, her oxygen, um, the oxygenation of her blood was quite low, so there was, you know, there was likelihood of, of some sort of brain, um, you know, brain damage, albeit minimal, you know, whether it be learning disabilities or, or you know something like that. And about nine o'clock, he said to us. Call your priest. And so we got the priest. He performed last rites. And they said, you have have your last hold. Oh, God. And I, I'm... My wife and I didn't... You know, again, it was pretty ugly when it ended. But I, I, I say openly and publicly, her courage and strength that night mm. to hold the baby she knew she wasn't going to take home was was bigger than Ben-Hur. It was bigger than Texas. And I struggled for a long time, Ian, because I couldn't bring myself to hold my own child. Yeah. And I hated myself for that. I hated myself for that. And it took me a long time. Priest came. She had a cuddle. I had a look. They took her away and we never saw her again. And we went home that night empty-handed. Uh, and two days two days later, or the next day, we had a, we had a meeting at the, at the hospital with, uh, with the doctor who explained, you know, fundamentally what happened, which we already knew anyway. And it was, you know, nobody had done anything wrong. Hmm. You know, my ex hadn't done anything wrong. She hadn't taken unnecessary risks with her health. She hadn't done anything wrong. Hmm. It was just Stephanie just was not meant to to be, right? and uh, and that, and that was that was really really painful. And a couple of days after that, you know, we take this little coffin about that big, little white coffin, looked like a shoebox, and we we buried her. And and that's it. And Stephanie would have been November the fourteenth. November this year, Stephanie would have been uh, ninety. Help me with my maths here. Twenty three ninety. She would have been thirty three years old. I, I can't imagine like how difficult. I've had people on here before talking about similar stories and having. The, the what's meant to be such a joyous occasion having to go through like that like that that yes you said not holding not holding your baby was hard just the whole thing it, that must last for a long time that must stick with you for a long time I, again you know I felt I felt I had let my my child down at the time when it needed its father the most. Yeah, wow. And that had a real, real, real impact on me. I've made peace with it now. 
you know, I go, I, I visit, you know, visit Stephanie's uh, gravesite every year on her birthday. And we always used to take um, yellow roses. So I always make a point of, of taking yellow roses. And, um, mate, I've been there and I've, I've shed some tears. <laughs> I've shed some yeah, tears. I bet. Uh, and, um, you know, asked her forgiveness. Right. So there's the other side of grief. There's one blaming externally, but but this is the part that is probably the hardest to deal with, and that's the self-blame and the going through all of the different scenarios of, mm. of everything that's unfolded and, and thinking about what you could do differently. What what have you learned about yourself from working through all of that? The self blame, the guilt. The most important thing is, 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 is there's no value to it. Hmm. You know, I, I don't I, I don't make excuses or justify it. I mean, I was God. How old was I? I was I was thirty years old. Hmm. I, I was a mature adult. I was a father. I was a business owner. I can't blame my my youth. I can't blame my uh, lack of maturity. I can't blame anything. It was a decision that I made. A moment of of weakness at that time. I made I made a decision, and I owned it, and I had to make peace with myself. And and now I look at situations, and I'm I'm, I'm a big one. You know, I I talk to my kids. Every time I talk to my kids, sometimes I say it, sometimes I don't. Every time I speak to my kids when I hang up, even if we've had a you know disagreement or you know we've crossed words or something, last thing I say to them, I love you, before I hang up. Every yeah, time, every time, because truth is, I don't know if it'll be the last time. No, you never know. We we, we you learn that. <laughs> we have no control over, you know, we can control certain events, yeah. but in terms of the big picture, whether you believe in God, the universe, Muhammad, Buddha, whatever your belief system is and, and, and hats off to you, there's a power bigger than us in my view. And so whether there's, you know, you want, want to call it destiny or whether our, our, our path is preordained or whatever the case may be, there are things that we do not have control over. You know, people driving home in their own, you know, coming from work in their own business and, and somebody's stolen a car and they're screaming 100 mile an hour and they plough in the back of them and, and kill somebody. You have no control over that. You're just at the wrong place at the wrong time. And, yeah. uh, and, and I believe that was the case. You know, again, my ex did nothing, nothing wrong. Hmm. There were no, there were no, uh, behaviors or habits or you know anything like that that you could go well you know if you hadn't have done that or you had have done this there's none of that it's just one of those really really unfortunate circumstances that you go you know what I, I can sit and beat myself up over this for the next 50 years I'm not going to live for another 50 years but you know, nothing's going to change nothing's going to change and so it's what I do, what I do now in terms of my current relationships and, and particularly with my children, you know, I'm yeah. a grandfather now as well. So, you know, I've, 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 I'm blessed with, with, uh, with two beautiful grandchildren uh, who, who I love to bits and pieces. 
you know. So I just you just got to look and go. Okay, it was just it was that's something in life that that. Again, like you said about, you know, bad experiences and then your mentor saying, well, okay, write down the good things and you go, what effing good things? Yeah. And before yeah. you know it, you've got two pages of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 100%. I'd argue that you didn't do anything wrong either, but instead you did the best that you could in the circumstances with everything you had within you at that time. Mm. Like we, no one can prepare yourself for moments like that and oh, no one goodness can, knows. can say with any confidence of how they will react because until mm. you're faced with it, like no one really knows. And, and I'm sure oh. everyone who's been through mm. dark, grieving moments like that will have mm. something where they look back and go, oh, wow, why did I do that? It's mm. very much a... There's an unconscious pattern that just plays out and and it's like the, the same thing that I'm sure you've heard it as well. Like it's not your fault. It is your responsibility how you respond, but it, Correct. it's not your fault. It's yeah. not about assigning blame, whether that's external or, or within ourselves. Mm. Now, you mentioned a higher power. I've had a number of guests come on talking about having lost children and, you know, they they – obviously we'll have meant to have a bigger role on the other side. And, and if I'm getting goosebumps now, as I say it, do, do you ever feel like you've had like connection to Stephanie where she's been talking to you or sending messages or even just like had one describe a, a wind chime that, that had gone off that sort of signified to her that she was there with her? Look, uh, for the sake of, uh, you know, theatre, I'd like to say yes, but the reality is no. I, I, I don't believe, and I certainly can't recall of an instance instance like that, anything yeah. happening. Um, yeah. I, 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 I've had a couple of experiences where with my mum, uh, I was very yeah. close to mum, uh, and, you know, I, there was a time where um, uh, laying in bed one night, this is after I was divorced, laying in bed and my the door to the bedroom was directly in front of uh, in front of the bed yeah. and I, I remember waking up one night and seeing a figure at, in the in the passageway and and I know it was my mum yeah. like I just knew it was her yeah and there was another time where the 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 freakiest this is the freakiest thing yeah. like being in bed and having the sense of you know you know how you're in a, when you uh, in bed and somebody sits on the edge of the bed the mattress sort of dips yeah right i i was i, I had the sensation laying in bed and i felt somebody sit on the edge of the bed <laughs> yeah. and pull the bed clothes to the point where i couldn't actually move my arms i felt like i was you know how they bundle babies up so they can't move yeah. their arms yeah, yeah it, it felt like that that was just that that sent even now that sends shivers up my spine. Um, <laughs> I bet. But, but I reckon that was I, I reckon that was uh, that was the old girl. I reckon that was mum. Saying you know, I say to my current partner now, who um, I, I, I jokingly we were talking about it last night. I wish I'd have met her thirty years ago. But uh, nevertheless, um, my mother always used to say to me, you know, um, and, and it doesn't come across great in in translation, but. In Greek, it's valemialo, which means have some brains, you know, like think about what you're doing. 
you know, mm. and it's like I've got a I've got my mother on like a parrot on my shoulder, and every <laughs> every time I do something dumb, it's like you know the shaking of the head. You know. <laughs> oh, con, God bless her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What have you done? <laughs> Not again. <laughs> oh, I love it. Um, and it's amazing how many people have those stories where you can't like. How can you explain that any other way that that, that you can feel that sense of someone sitting yeah. on the end of the bed? I love it. I love it. It's, uh, I've got those um, chills as you were telling that story as well. Um, now, con through all of these different ups and downs, where do you think you learnt the most about effective communication and and then sharing messages to the world? It's hard to, hard to choose, really. Well, give me a couple of the. There was an ones. instance that, that one of the most powerful things that happened to me, or lessons, I guess, and you don't appreciate the lesson until later in life. Yeah. And and I guess it's more about communicating with my children more than anything, which is which is really important to me. Mum. Uh, I was living at home. I was 17, 18, and, you know, probably even 16, 17. Anyway, and like a late teenager, high school, you know, uh, the only thing you were interested in was was cars, cars, girls, and booze uh, and, and chuck in some sport from time to time. Yeah. And so, you know, Saturday night uh, was, you know, we were out of here, you know, we are dancing, partying, et cetera, et cetera, and, and – um, this is no mobile phones back in these days. No mobiles, no no pages. This is or, or, or for cameras, those of you that are old enough. Hey, or phone cameras, thankfully. Or phone cameras, thank goodness. There, <laughs> this was a telephone that was on the wall with a dial. You know, you put your finger and go, drrr, drrr, uh-huh. drrr. and um, and mum came out, and you know, I was all spruced up, and she said, "What time are you going to be home?" I'm going, "Well, I don't know. I don't know. I get home when I get home." She said, I worry, what time are you going to be home? All right. She said, if you're going to be any later than one o'clock, right, you call me. I said, I'm, I'm not ringing you at one o'clock in the morning. The old man's going to answer the phone. I'm never going to hear the end of it. All right. I don't care. You ring me if you're going to be later than one o'clock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Con goes out. In there and out there, yep. No regard, no, no awareness, no con, nothing. Right? I'm just out. Sure enough, it's probably three thirty in the morning, four in the morning. Con strolls home, and Mum's bedroom window used to face the street. And as I got out of out of uh, out of the taxi, I could see her silhouette sitting on the edge of the bed looking out into the street. And of course, I've gone, ah, for fuck's sake. (laughs) Here we go. (laughs) Stroll in the house, comes out of the bedroom. And I thought she was going to absolutely launch. And my mum was, I'm no giant. I'm, you know, 5'10", 5'11"-ish, you know, depends on how you measure me. Mum was probably five two and as as wide, and she's just given me this massive hug, massive hug, 
and kissed me on the on the on the cheek and looked me in the eye and I could I could see the pain in her eyes. Yeah. And all she said to me, you'll understand when you have your own children. Yep. And at 3.30 in the morning, 17 years old, me becoming a parent was the last thing that was on my radar. I've just, now, you stupid old woman. And I've gone to bed. And guess what, Ian? My kids got 17, 18. And guess what my kids did? (laughs) They went out drinking and partying as well. And guess who used to sit up at 3 o'clock in the morning? Guess who used to go and pick them up at three, four o'clock in the morning? That would be yeah. me. <laughs> from that great and lesson so, from your mum. <laughs> and so that is something. And, you know, so, mate, same conversation with my kids. You'll understand when you have your own. And guess what? <laughs> my, son, my son is a father now of two, two beautiful children. All right, same thing. So... I guess in direct answer to your question in terms of what have I learned in communication, it's the absolute importance in your ability to get your point across. My my mum, God rest her soul, she made a real strong point, but I didn't get it at the time. I'm trying to communicate with my kids about my lessons that they're yet to experience in, in, in them understanding and being able to relate to it now. Yeah, nice. Right. Yep. The other thing that struck me is uh, the parallels between someone sitting on the end of your bed and that vision of the silhouette of <laughs> your mum sitting on the end of her bed. <laughs> and it's you like... <laughs> Mate, let me, t- let, let me tell you, do you know that is the first time the first time ever that somebody has said that and mate that is just that's just like a bolt of lightning through me now that has just sent a shiver up my spine because <laughs> that's the first time i've ever put the two of or not i haven't you've you've made me aware of those two events in parallel first yeah. time ever yeah it's like crazy when she comes to sit on your bed again she's like <laughs> You better listen up, boy. <laughs> you got to pay attention. Up. <laughs> mm. Oh goodness! Um, oh, mate, I love those stories. And and my mum was the same, right? But we had mates who would go, "Get your mum to pick us up," because you know the cab changeover <laughs> at three o'clock and you couldn't get home. So again, same thing. Like when my daughter's out to crazy, crazy o'clock, mate, call me, call me, I'll come get you. I'd rather. If you if you're gonna be alone or you're worried about getting home, then make sure you call because yeah, the, the best way to do it, right? Pay it forward, and uh, they they will never as much as you're trying to communicate it effectively now. They'll never understand until they do. But you're absolutely right. We can mm-hmm. we can bridge that gap by explaining through stories, and that's one of the things I love about this platform is to get people on to tell their stories. This has been like everyone's been through a lot of stuff, but the mm. the the three things there that kind of like every one of them like just you got you can feel the emotion like the the depth of it. Um, and I, I appreciate you being so open with that, Con. It's it's oh, been. A, I, I'm sure many will get a heap of value out of what mm. you've shared so far. 
you know, and what I what I say to people in a in a in a commercial sense from the work that I do in corporates, facts tell, stories sell. And we can sit there in a in a corporate environment, present all these wonderful statistics about whatever. But until the, the best salespeople are storytellers. And if your audience and indeed any any of your audience that are in, in a in a sales role or you know management or anything like that, if you can master the art of storytelling, mate, it's it's you, you've won the game. You've won the game. Yeah, and, and bringing it back to what you talked about mm. earlier, you know, we talk about every moment being a sale. Mm. It's that ability to tell stories. It's why people have been doing it for millennia, right? Like it's it's such a powerful way to to share mm. that. Con, I'd, I'd love to hear a bit of your expertise. What what's a mm. a surprising thing that people need to know that maybe they haven't considered about being the best possible presenter or public speaker that they possibly can be. Oh, how long have we got? Look, <laughs> there's this, this a couple of really key things. And the first one is a lot of the fear and anxiety that people have around either presenting, speaking up in public, or even putting their hands up in a meeting to say, hey, I've got an idea or I've got a thought or I've got an opinion Every, every all of that goes back to their level of, as I said earlier, level of self-esteem, confidence, the way they view themselves. But what it is, is everything surrounding that, am I good enough? Will I forget things? Will the audience like me? Everything is about them. And so the, the, the people create this 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 unrealistic expectation on themselves which drives anxiety fear etc etc because it's they're making it all about them if you make it about your audience delivering the best experience you can the best that you can be do your preparation do your homework do your research and and being the best that you can be all that, all that fear, anxiety just melts away, just disappears because immediately it's not about you. Yeah. You know? So good. And one of the exercises that I do is, you know, in, in a group I go, right, okay, so your, you know, fear and anxiety, what is it? And I put them all up on the whiteboard or on the flip chart. Um, you know, uh, fear of forgetting things, uh, fear of not being liked, uh, fear of uh, tripping over, fear of this, fear of that. And I go, right, okay. What's the common denominator to everything there? And they and they look at you and most times somebody will go, uh, me? Yes, you. You are the common denominator. And so yeah. it's all about you. And so and so that that's the that's the the, the, the biggest thing, you know, seventy eight percent of the global population uh, has some level of fear, anxiety around speaking in public, right? 
again, statistically, two thirds women, one third men, and that and that plays out in my workshops as well. I typically have two thirds women, one third men, and so understanding that is goes a long way to helping with that fear and anxiety. That's that's the that's the one key thing. Yeah. The, the second key thing that I've learned, and, and if, if people get just this one thing right, it just changes the game. And I talk about the Pareto principle. And for those of you that know or don't know it, it's, it's the 80-20 rule. And I learned that in my very early days of supermarkets. You know, 80% of your sales come from 20% of your lines. That 80% of your results will come from 20% of your activities and so on and so forth. What I say to people in terms of the training is – if you can improve on 20% of the skill set, that translates to an 80% outcome. And based on that, if you can understand about, it's not about you, it's about your audience, number one, and number two, people speak too fast. They think that if they can get more out in their allotted time, that it's a better result. And nothing could be further from the truth. Yeah. How many times I hear presenters say, oh, look, uh, we're running out of time. I'm just going to rush through this last little bit here. Ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you, if you rush through it, don't bother doing it. It also strikes me that that's making it about your ego rather than it being anything meaningful. It, it's the, your audience can't process it. You know, the brain, the brain picks up patterns and if it picks up a pattern, yeah. it goes, okay, I'm not interested. I'm out of here. See you yeah. later. Disengagement. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so people, please slow down. Less is more. Slow down and pause. And so if you can do just those two things, just those two Right. It'll make a significant impact on on your conversations, the outcomes, and the results that you get. Yeah, absolutely. The other word that came to mind to me was and to breathe, because uh, when yeah. we're going 100 miles an hour, it's usually because we're holding our breath and we're thinking about yeah. like this and we're yeah. taking a yeah. big breath. The other thing I learned when you were talking about, you know, it's all about you, and the audience are sitting there. They don't have daggers for you. They're actually cheering for you. Everyone in that audience wants you to do well. And, and so they're not there like, because, you know, when we, we get really self-conscious of being in front of an audience, you're thinking, mm. what will they say? What will they do? Well, actually, they want you to do well because they don't want to be uncomfortable while, this, while the speaker's struggling over it. They, they want, you, they want yeah. you to be great. And I, that was a big one for me. I, I really liked that. I, I say to people, um, you know, when I, when I come to that part of, of the program, I say to them, right, okay, so you guys all got up this morning, um, you know, you've woken up and you've, you've got up and going, great, I'm going to listen to Con or going to Con's workshop tonight. I've paid, I've paid my money. How many of you honestly put your hands up and go, God, I'm, I've paid this money. I've gotten up this morning. I'm, I'm going to hear him speak. God, I hope he stinks. God, I hope he's crap. <laughs> and they look around and go, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> of course we didn't. Exactly. The audience, and whether that's 10,000 or one, have invested time and or money 
to listen to you. Of course, they want you to succeed. Yeah. They want to benefit from your knowledge, your expertise. They, they want to learn something. They don't want you to be crap. Exactly. <laughs> oh, very good. Um, what I love, Con, is that a lot of people can talk a good game about different things, but all of those things that you just talked about then, like you delivered in this conversation as well. So Thank you. That's to me. That's really important. That's that uh, word mm. congruence again that we talked about mm. early. Yeah. Well, I had a bit of a laugh before we jumped on because uh, I was talking about preparation. <laughs> one of the key point, one of the key parts of speaking. Yeah, we. And, um, and I'm about to jump on, and I realised that I'd been at the cafe this morning, and my laptop was in my backpack, and I'm madly trying to plug everything in while we're getting ready. So, a good lesson learned for me. Uh, <laughs> well, let, Ian, let, let me give you another little lesson about preparation, and and there's and I learned this from um, from somebody else, so I can't take credit for this, but. Yeah. Preparation has two components to it from a from a speaking and presentation point of view. There's yeah. two components, and typically, what most people will do is they'll they'll do their PowerPoint slides, they'll write out their speech, they'll write out their notes, and they'll practice that, and they'll practice, and they'll practice, and it's great. And that's that's a big part of it. Tick. What they don't practice is the delivery. When am I going to pause? When am I going to make a point so Ian really gets what I'm talking about? Or at what yeah. point am I going to speed up to create some excitement with my audience? They don't do that. They focus on this bit, but not this bit. And this yeah. bit is as important, if not more important. Yeah. And the bit that struck me then as I was telling my story about my uh, lack of preparation was it's so important. It's so important to be yourself, right? So so in these interviews, I've got like my son just got home and sometimes like, I just think he's really quiet. <laughs> he's really quiet, right? But other times he's not. <laughs> and so it's like, yeah, but that's just that's just life, right? And there are other times that the dog knocks on the door and comes in. And and yeah. so in when you're talking, you, you will do those things more naturally. I think you'll 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 get the right inflection. You'll speed up. You'll slow down. Mm. If you just try and be yourself, you don't try and That's be true. a speaker that someone else is. You just be more of who you, who you are. And and again, I, I just from the the conversations we've had so far, what mm. I love is that's been the experience with with you, Con, is that you've just you. been yourself. And I really enjoyed this chat. Thank you so much for sharing your stories and your wisdom. No, Ian, thank you so so much. It's been an absolute pleasure, and and I hope your your audience, viewers, and listeners uh, certainly get something from um, from from my experiences and, and from the chat that we've had. It's it's been a delight. I thank you so much. You're welcome, mate, and I'm sure they will. Where can people find you, Con, if they want to look up your what you do and and who you are? Uh, easiest thing is is uh, hit up my website, which is my name, uh, and uh, it'll take you uh, to the programs that I run, the kind of work that I do. As I said, the, the three key things for me are my uh, my um, workshops, which which I run a public program. Anybody can buy a buy a seat to my corporate work, where I'm where I'm uh, training uh, corporate entities, but also my keynote presentation. So if anybody out there is looking for a a keynote presenter, 
uh, for uh, for your seminar or your meeting, uh, you can hit me up and we can certainly have a chat. Uh, I've definitely got some some stories that I can share and some lessons that I've learned, let's say. And um, uh, and I also have my own podcast, Ian, which I'll give a bit of a sprout to. It's called a couple with the con. It's called a cuppa with the conversationalist, and oh, um, and my my daughter is the creative one in the family. I can't take any credit for that, but uh, but yeah, if uh, anyone wants to hit that up, there's uh, and people say, well, what's it about? It's an entertaining, educational, informative program where I interview a broad array of guests with unique experiences, perspectives, and expertise in their chosen field. Well played. Lovely presenting. Tell your daughter she's done a great job with you. <laughs> she, I was, yeah, she's, she's, currently, she's currently swanning around in Europe at the moment. So oh, tough, she's, tough. Um, she FaceTime me. A well-deserved well-deserved holiday and, and um, uh, for Natalie. Um, I hope you're having a great time, love. Awesome. We'll make sure we get all those links in the notes so people can check you out. Again, thank you, Cos. Awesome. Appreciate it. Mate, fantastic. Great great to be on. Thanks, Ian. Cheers. You have a great one. Too. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Grief Code podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please share it with a friend or family member that you know will benefit from hearing it too. If you are truly ready to heal your unresolved or unknown grief, let's chat. Email me at info at ianhawkinscoaching.com. You can also stay connected with me by joining the Grief Code community at ianhawkinscoaching.com forward slash the grief code. And remember, so that I can help even more people to heal, please subscribe and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform.